0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Good morning, this is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, Vanuatu is still reeling from the impacts of two cyclones and an earthquake, hitting the country back to back. Prime Minister Kalsakal says there's still much work done to be rebuilt.
2: We've undertaken a surveillance flight over Port Vila, Uramango and Tana, Suffice to say, it's a very sad state of affairs.
1: And in Guam, researchers are looking at the impact of sunken warships and artillery on the environment. Surprisingly, perhaps, it's not all bad news. Because these submerged artifacts from World War II are now really integrated into the ecosystem. They're part of the coral reef
3: structure, they're providing habitat for fish and other sea life.
1: And we hear from the investigative reporter looking at corruption in PNG's largest state owned enterprise. All that and more today on this show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though. Controversy has erupted over leadership within the Pacific's most important diplomatic body, the Pacific Islands Forum. Former Nauruan President Baron Wonga will become the next Secretary General of PIF as part of a deal to bring Micronesian countries back into the fold. He'll take up the position next year, but Mr. Wanga's controversial human rights and press freedom records are drawing harsh criticism. Marianne, far with this report.
3: Baron Wanga is a man who certainly isn't afraid to showcase his talents. Hide, hide, In 2018, during his 6-year term as president of Nauru, he famously serenaded New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern with a song he wrote especially for her now he's due to take on one of the most powerful positions in the region as Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum. The appointment was announced last week in a special meeting of Pacific leaders with Mr Wanga to step into the role next year. But already the decision is causing controversy. He presided over a period of Nauru's history, which is a very dark chapter. Kate Schutze is Amnesty International's Pacific researcher. She says Mr Wanga was president at a time when serious human rights violations are alleged to have occurred with the reopening of Australian immigration detention centres on Nauru. In some cases that amounted to sexual abuse and torture of refugees and asylum seekers. The allegations haven't been tested in court and Nauru's government denies claims of abuse. Serving as president from 2013 until 2019, Mr Wanga was also heavily criticised for his relationship with the media and his political opponents. Including a Facebook ban that was implemented for three years by him personally. You know, the suppression of protests, peaceful protests by MPs in the country. Some of them were subject to criminal charges and imprisonment. One of those MPs was Squire Jeremiah, who fled Nauru to escape prosecution for protesting outside Parliament in 2015. The charges against him and 18 Others were thrown out by an Australian judge whose contract was terminated before a retrial. In 2019, the group was found guilty of rioting and unlawful assembly. Mr Jeremiah says they were denied legal assistance, access to overseas lawyers, and some had their passports seized. The case sparked international outcry.
4: I just can't imagine how they come up with this nomination.
3: Mr Jeremiah is now seeking humanitarian protection in Australia. The news that Mr Wanga would soon lead the Pacific Islands Forum, a body that puts human rights, transparency and accountability as its core values, came as a shock to him.
4: It's really unacceptable to me and they should reconsider and change their nomination.
3: The ABC has sought comment from Mr Wanga and the Pacific Islands Forum about his appointment. Griffith University Pacific Affairs expert Dr. Tess Newton Kane says the former Nauruan president has his work as Secretary General cut out for him. It's a big job. It's always a big job, and it's a particularly big job at the moment, given the increased level of interest in the region and more partners wanting to have a bigger presence. But exactly how he'll perform is yet to be seen. His record as a proponent of good governance, I think, you know, it's something of a patchwork.
1: That was Griffith University's Dr. Tess newton Kane. ending that report by Marion Farr. And for more on Baron Wonga's appointment to lead the Pacific Islands Forum as Secretary General, we have Federated States of Micronesia President David Penuela, Penuelo joining us. President Penwelo welcome once again to Pacific Beat.
5: Good morning, Brianga. Good to be on your program, and we thank you for that.
1: Good morning. Um, now I want to talk to you about this appointment of Mr. Wonga. Serious allegations of human rights abuses, of, of erosion of press freedoms, of, of concerns around democracy in his co- in his country as former Nauru uh, President have been leveled against Baron Wonga. Do you believe he's the best man to lead the Pacific Islands Forum?
5: Well, you know we thank you. Yes, he is the best uh, person in our consideration. The uh, Micronesian President's uh, Summit was held here in our capital, Federated States of Micronesia, and we came together for the uh, discussion on the Suva implementation. And he was Nauru's uh, candidate for the MPS, and we all supported him. And uh, there had the uh, BIF to be the next Secretary General after uh, Pune. And I know that while Wanga has a reputation abroad, he also uh, has a reputation in serving his people uh, very well. And, uh, you know, if any of these uh, allocations uh, were to be serious, I think, you know, it's going to play out itself in the manner that, uh, you know, uh, everything goes. And so uh, if it is really that serious, I think uh, it will come to uh, uh, light. Uh, But in the consideration of the Micronesian President's uh, Summit, he was former president of Nauru. uh, He served his people well. And we hope that he's uh, being uh, tough in the way of his uh, administration, uh, that it can serve the Pacific well.
1: Uh, President Panuelo, um, considering that, I mean, you have said that he is the best man to lead the Pacific Islands Forum. What would you say to people from Nauru, in Nauru, who can no longer go back because they say that they were persecuted by uh, under Mr. Wonga's presidency? I mean, we heard from refugee um, uh, advocates earlier in the show, and they allege that Mr. Wonga presided over serious human rights abuses of refugees staying in camps in Nauru. What would you say to people who say they have been abused by this man who's going to lead the Pacific Islands Forum?
5: You know, I would I would need to learn more about that, Brianga. And I know that when we Pacific uh, leaders come together, and a certain country appoints a certain uh, former uh, president, uh, you know, with uh, having completed his term without any uh, rule of law that uh, Im- implicated him, uh, we need to take those uh, types of uh, uh, information and learn more about it. And that is why I'm saying now that, you know, information that is uh, being uncovered or uh, whatever these allegations are, I believe that, you know, it's gonna play out its course. And, uh, you know, if uh, it is that serious, uh, you know, uh, leaders would would also uh, need to look at those and uh, make uh, further considerations. But in the meantime, uh, this is uh, what the Micronesian Presidents have chosen and have uh, agreed to and reported to the chair of the Pacific Islands Forum, which we did during the special forum leaders uh, meeting. So I believe I believe that if anything is serious, it's going to come out to light and uh, and everybody will be informed about it, uh, uh, you know, in the search for the truth.
1: Mm. Uh, I mean, Mr. Penweller, you said that these things need to come to light. Uh, some would argue that they already have become to light, that they have been widely reported, particularly when Mr. Wonga was president. I mean, were, were, was his past record discussed in negotiations um, by Micronesian leaders before he was selected as uh, secretary general of PIF?
5: You know, we had uh, a few considerations of uh, leaders that we went through and uh, Nauru uh, having brought in this uh, this candidate and then uh, uh, you know giving Nauru that uh, uh, support uh, we we uh, want to rely on the uh, trust of uh, Nauru's uh, government that they're bringing forward the uh, men that would represent the entire pacific in the interest of our blue pacific uh, uh, continent and so I I believe that if anything is really serious and has already come out, uh, this will come to uh, consideration by the entire forum leadership. Uh, And this uh, process, as you know, uh, chair of the forum has been uh, transitioned from uh, Fiji uh, prime minister during the uh, special uh, forum leaders meeting. And it's been uh, now taken up by the uh, chair of the next uh, next Pacific Islands Forum, uh, Prime Minister Brown. And so between now and the next meeting of the entire forum leaders, uh, which will be in October, I believe that there's time that would uh, uh, give us uh, more information to us. But we discuss uh, Baron Wangka's uh, policies, including foreign policy, but I only heard of Nauruans who can't come home today Uh, on uh, your program so we do want to learn more about this uh, Priyanka so uh, if you could give that uh, benefit of uh, doubt for for leaders to uh, further digest the information that is uh, coming to light.
1: Uh, yes, I understand, Mr. Panuelo, that, that these are just coming to light f- to you. I mean, to give you some more context, um, uh, Mr. Mwanga also presided uh, at a time when serious human rights violations were alleged to have occurred on offshore detention centres from Australia. The, these were Australian-owned offshore detention centres. He also banned Facebook and prosecuted 19 citizens for protesting against his government during his presidential term. I mean, these are things that have already Already being reported on, um, Mr. Panuelo. Now, the forum, as you know, has a commitment to ensuring human rights, transparency, and accountability. W- what convinced you that Mr. Wonga was the right person to take those tenants forward?
5: Well, Brianga, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking on the basis of information that I'm uh, uh, being able I've been able to uh, gather. Uh, but what you are sharing with me and uh, what is uh, coming out to light, because I think uh, for some of us specific leaders, some of the information weren't uh, really available in, in there. And I think uh, because of the focus on Baron Wonga, uh, now uh, some things are coming out to light and I appreciate the, the information, but I, I supported Baron Wonga because he has been strong for Micronesia and strong against hostile foreign interests and powers. As you know, but in terms of those violations, uh, alleged violations, uh, like I said, uh, when uh, when uh, Baron Wanga's uh, candidature will be put to the entire Forum Pacific Islands Forum membership when we meet, because that's when it's going to happen. When we meet in uh, in uh, uh, Cook Islands uh, or prior to that, I believe further uh, scrutiny will will happen, and if anything is uh, all that serious. Uh, I believe that leaders will be given the, the prerogative to uh, uh, comment and because he will be the uh, Pacific Islands Forum uh, leader and not just Micronesia. So I believe that more discussions on these uh, matters uh, will be happening in the course of time.
1: Mm. So, so, President Penwiller, does that mean uh, Baron Wanga's nomination might be reversed, might be re- reconsidered?
5: Well you know I cannot speak to that uh, Priyanka but uh, I want to believe that uh, information uh, that is coming to light will be reviewed uh, in full by the entire forum membership and uh, like any candidate uh, I believe that uh, more review and consideration will be given to him before he takes up the uh, the post of the forum secretary general I believe in May of uh, next year so between now and that time uh, like I said, uh, would be uh, uh, time to uh, do these things if uh, more information that is uh, uh, serious will be coming to light.
1: Now, President um, Panweller, you did say that Mr. Wanga's foreign credentials uh, as president of Nauru was part of the reasons why he was nominated by Micronesian leaders. Um, Now, Mm -hmm. he's very famously been uh, quite a strong critic of China. Um, Did that play into one of the reasons why he was nominated as as secretary general of PIF?
5: Well, you know, uh, countries in the region, including my country, we jealously uh, card our sovereignty and the entire sovereignty of our Pacific Island nations in our blue Pacific continent. So if that had been uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of the reasons for uh, him being selected, I, I would say yes. I, I think, uh, you know, Pacific Island nations uh, would have to work together. The forum is such a mechanism, the Pacific Islands Forum, where we've agreed that matters of sensitivity you know, that deals with geopolitics and whatnot uh, will be discussed uh, among members in a open and, and candid manner and then uh, uh, reach consensus before, uh, before any, uh, you know, decision, uh, collective decision is uh, made by our forum family uh, in moving forward in the areas of cooperation with our foreign partners.
1: If you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat this Monday morning, we are speaking uh, about the appointment of Baron Wonga and joining us on the program is President of the Federated States of Micronesia, David Panuelo. And I do want to thank you very much for joining our show this morning, Mr. Panuelo, because, of course, you've got the um, your general election just tomorrow. The the country is preparing <laughs> to vote. So we are very, very lucky to have you on the show because I imagine you are preoccupied with with the vote happening. Um, But I I understand that despite this general election happening tomorrow, um, the people's vote won't actually determine who will become president during the next term. Can you tell us why that is the case? How does this actually work, this vote tomorrow?
5: (laughs) Well, you know, our constitutional democracy is quite uh, unique. Uh, we uh, sort of modeled our uh, form of constitutional government after the United States having been a, you know, former colony. Uh, but our constitution uh, plays out so that our uh, members of Congress tomorrow, uh, you know, the entire nation goes to the polls uh, to vote in, uh, you know, the candidates uh, for the, uh, you know, for the Congress of Micronesia. Four out of the uh, uh, 14 are elected at large by the entire population uh, of each of the four states, while the uh, 10 others are elected on an election district basis. So only the four uh, will be eligible for presidency and vice presidency. And so we have a two-layered system. We get elected by the uh, population, uh, and then when we go into Congress, the 14 members of Congress then will vote or select by consensus who the the next president of the nation will be and the next vice president. And that will happen before May 11 at 12 (laughs) o'clock. And so election is tomorrow, whatever the fate is, I'm ready to accept it in an orderly uh, manner in a peaceful transition because uh, people will have spoken with the mandate. And then uh, between uh, then uh, tomorrow and whenever the next, uh, uh, until May, Congress will be having caucus to discuss who they will have the confidence in uh, electing for the next president and vice presidency. And then we'll do a, a special election to fill those two vacancies in Congress when president and vice presidents are selected.
1: Oh, very interesting. So, I guess you'll you'll have to wait for a bit longer, President Panuelo, to see if you still um, have that job as leader of the country until until May. You said, and and it's quite interesting to hear how complicated it is because I remember President Panuelo back in 2019. It came a bit of a surprise to you when you were elected. Um, and there wasn't quite a smooth handover. You hadn't re- received any briefings. And you were, in fact, I understand, quite out of the loop until you found out you would actually been elected. Do you hope that isn't the case if, 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 if for instance, there is a new president? Uh, how are you planning to make sure that they don't face the same transition hurdles that you had into the new role?
5: Uh, Yeah, that's quite true. You know, I wasn't aiming to become uh, the next president, but by the uh, landscape of the way we discussed how the nation will be going forward, uh, somehow uh, I became the uh, choice and then uh, uh, was selected by Congress to lead our nation. And I love our country so much. I believe that despite COVID uh, having set us back two and a half years, uh, the administration, uh, uh, Panuelo, the administration did really well, and we brought in the most uh, foreign assistance in the history of our nation. Uh, I've just uh, programmed a deal on the uh, Compact uh, Free Association with the United States with a total of uh, $7 billion combined that we will receive over the next uh, 20 years of the extension of our treaty, uh, U.S. being our, uh, you know, and touring partner. And so, Uh, The work we've done and then keeping our nation safe from COVID, uh, having reached a very high level of uh, vaccination, we saved our citizens. And I know in my heart that I've done so well in serving our nation. And now it's for the people to decide and for Congress to uh, also uh, select our next uh, leader of the nation. And I'll be happy uh, wherever the chips may fall and, uh, you know, to uh, to uh, implement mandate of our nation. And our nation is really progressing very well. One of the countries that I have serious and uh, great confidence in, uh, in our future, uh, in this blue Pacific uh, continent. So uh, uh, whatever capacity I may, uh, you know, uh, take up, I'm ready for it, whether it's another term as president, another term as a member of Congress, or uh, you know, out there in the open, uh, uh, you know, private, uh, you know, capacity, non-government capacity. But oh, it's such a pleasure working with the Pacific leaders and having served our uh, nations as citizens. Such a humbling. Experience
1: And just finally, uh, President Penuelo, before we go, I, I wanted to ask you, because part of your presidency has, has been um, criticizing China's greater influence in the region, particularly when it came to um, the security deals that it did sign with Solomon Islands and a region-wide trade and security deal that it did try and pass but was um, ultimately shelved by Pacific leaders. I understand that China's newly appointed special envoy to the Pacific visited your country. how did you make what did you make of that meeting? And did you do you know if China wants to push this region wide deal once again?
5: Well, you know, I uh, absolutely cheerlessly card our sovereignty with the, uh, you know, sweat and blood of our forefathers uh, having achieved that. So uh, we, the Pacific, including the Federated States of Micronesia, will not compromise our sovereignty. And so, anything that comes in the way of our foreign, uh, you know, relations, uh, nothing can compromise that. And I assure you that that would be the, you know, the uh, way uh, forward. And I know that the deal didn't happen. Uh, the uh, Pacific um, uh, PRC ambassador visited our country, and he met with our uh, secretary or minister of foreign affairs because we are a country, uh, you know, with a foreign policy of uh, friends to all, enemies to none. But we know what our interests are, and uh, we will cooperate, but not to the extent that it will uh, uh, jeopardize uh, any form of our sovereignty, nor uh, anything that will escalate, uh, you know, or intensify the geopolitics in our region. And so, uh, yes, uh, you know, uh, it this is great that, you know, a nation would have to defend its sovereignty and work with all nations that we can work with. Mm-hmm. But we have differentiated levels of alliance uh, with, the, uh, with the foreign uh, nations that cooperate closely with our respective nations in the Pacific. Uh,
1: President Panamelo, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Pacific Beat.
5: Oh, thank you, Priyanka, for having me. And you all take care. Be safe.
1: Thank you. That was a Pacific Islands... Oh, well, sorry. The Secretary of uh, Federated States of Micronesia, President Pan, David Penwilla. But what we were talking about was the appointment of Baron Wonga to the Pacific Islands Forum as Secretary General. And we were also talking about that vote happening in M- M- President Panwella's home country of Federated States of Micronesia. General election will kick off tomorrow listening to Pacific Beat this Monday morning. After facing two category four cyclones in as many days and an earthquake, communities in Vanuatu are on the tough road to recovery. A national emergency has been declared for the next six months and a cleanup is underway. Joining us now to talk more about that cleanup is Vanuatu cafe owner Lopez Adams, who has helped lead a citizen effort to clean things up. Uh, good morning to you, Lopez.
4: Good morning. Good morning, Pacific Beat.
1: Um, now, to start off with, uh, can you tell us what the impact is? What are you seeing right now uh, around you there in Port Villa?
4: Well, comparing it with uh, Cyclone Bam in 2015, there is no—I would say—not much uh, structural damage, except for the sea walls. A uh, little bit of damage here and then, which could be fixed uh, immediately. Um, since we are all covered with trees, I think trees are the main uh, problem here. So the cyclone has uprooted trees and maybe thrown them onto the roofs or onto some houses. And uh, again, comparing it to to the Category 5 in uh, 2015, uh, there's a lot of houses still standing even in the settlements. So... um, it seems like, yeah, people are uh, rather pill-packed uh, weather, but not everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's
1: good news yes. because obviously Cyclone Pam in 2015 was, was Category 5, wasn't it? These were two Category 4 cyclones, but you, it seems like the damage was was not as bad.
4: Yeah, not as bad, and um, yeah, I, I'd say... Very close. If we had been one step up and we would have faced the same thing as in 2015.
1: Yes, yes. very, very close uh, indeed. So so what work needs to be done there? You talked about fallen trees. Is that sort of what you're trying to clean up at the yeah, moment?
4: I, I think that's the main thing. People have to just clear up the, the trees uh, across the roads and in their homes. It's the main thing. And mm-hmm. I'm mean, in, in Bordfilae. The, main, uh, the capital, and uh, this this town is full of trees everywhere, so that's our, um, okay. uh, a little bit major setback. Uh, otherwise, powers uh, are coming back and um, right now, as I, I am talking to you, I am next to a wall trying to charge my phone at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I think that there will be a big uh, cleanup party around and we are sending a um, people around to employers and people who are needing uh, workers to come and collect as many workers they could. And uh, to try and clear up all the debris and everything, and we could move
1: Move on, you know. And I know um, Prime Minister Kalsaka there in Vanuatu said his priority was to try and get connections to the most affected areas, particularly when it comes to electricity and also water and and communications connections. Um, What is it like with you there? Have you noticed people struggling to get power, to, to make phone calls, to contact people?
4: Well, the big difference now is that um, even last night when I was looking around the city, it, there was a lot of lights and these lights are not coming from the main uh, power company. It's from solar. Mm. So a lot of people have uh, solar power in their own. So they, they're they charging phone and I could see a lot of people back online. Um, very, very different from, again, back in 2015 where people have to rely on the main power and they waited several months to get it back.
1: Oh, interesting to see. Maybe people have um, learned their lesson and, and tried to build back a bit more Absolutely. stronger, isn't it?
4: Absolutely. Yeah, that's right.
1: And you were saying that the cleanup is underway. And I understand, Lopez, that you're leading a citizen effort to, to help people during the cyclone. Um, what, what have you been doing there?
4: Well, see, there is um, a, a big population in the country that have um, never been felt part of the system. They are unemployed, not because they don't want to work. It's because they've been feeling uh, very intimidated by by the system that only looks at people with qualification. And, and these are the same people who are working in New Zealand and Australian farms. Um, we are tapping into this peak population where, you know, the basic skills uh, we only require from them. And uh, these are the perfect people who could, you know, clear uh, all the rubbish and debris. And um, yes, uh, this is the effort we're doing. Uh, we're trying to get as many, many young people in, in town to participate in this, um, this works. Mm, so, yes. Yeah, that's 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 what we're doing now.
1: Oh, wonderful! So to get them involved in the community, and I guess helping out um, while they are waiting for employment.
4: They, this, this, these are employment. So, so we we turn away with voluntary. We don't want to do volunteer thing anymore. Mm. This has to be has to be a paid job for everyone, even if it's casual, if it's one day or a week. But uh, they are paid, so nothing is uh, nothing is free. We try to match the daily rate uh, that the bosses are happy with and people needing uh, workers. So, um, yeah, we, so with this program, um, we get people to start work casual. And then eventually they could uh, get a long-term jobs with the businesses.
1: Oh, great. Um, I, and uh, f- first, uh, I want to take you back, uh, Lopez, to last week when the cyclones did hit. Um, what happened? Were you safe? Was your business affected at all? Can you take us back and, and let us know how, how, what yeah. happened when these two cyclones hit back-to-back?
4: Well, yes. So um, we, I arrived at my um, uh, business locations. I have three business locations and um, all got flooded. And uh, we cleaned up, we removed all the waters and opened one day only to be eat by this next one. And this time it just got worse. So um, just the same similar kind of work, removing water from buildings and uh, getting powers back on trying to uh, get the electrical appliances tried And uh, today we, uh, one of my cafes is open, and so people are really starting to have uh, hot coffee. So it's a good sign. Yeah, that is a,
1: sign, a good sign when hot coffee is available uh, again. I'm sure people um, are craving yeah. that after the, ne- the last couple of days of horrible weather. Um, And I understand local reports are saying hundreds of people are still in evacuation centres. Are you seeing that uh, around you, that houses have been destroyed, perhaps the ones that didn't build back um, as cyclone proof?
0: Yes,
4: absolutely. And um, I think, uh, yeah, these are the people who may not have the means to afford uh, uh, the kind of house that would withstand these uh, cyclones um and they're still in evacuation center uh they might also be staying in evacuation center with the fear that they if they go back home Mm. the distribution of any food might not reach them so evacuation center are more reachable than uh, individual homes i guess
1: Yes, and uh, for just finally, Lopez. As we finish up, uh, what is your day? What is your week looking like uh, ahead as you clean up the debris from those two cyclones?
4: Well, I, I I think cleanup is not is not a big concern for everyone here. It can be easily done in a week. However, it seems after the cyclone, we still have the heat, uh, very humid, and this is a perfect recipe for anything to happen again. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's something brewing somewhere but it's just not right. A post cyclone uh, in the past we normally feel the coolness and everything cools down but this time there's still a high heat and the big sun is scorching and that means uh, all the all the trees should be drying up. We got to just praise ourselves in saving waters uh, in the rural areas. They got to start saving some waters. That's a important thing. Um, for food, uh, we might just rely a lot on imported food as usual. Um, anything that is on top of the crown in the, in the farms, in the gardens, I think they will be dried up in the next few days.
1: Oh Well, so there's still um, some work to be done and um, yes, do stay safe. That is worrying to hear that um, things haven't quite cooled down and um, yes, that you are concerned for the future. So um, all the best to you, Lopez, and thank you so much for joining us this morning on Pacific Beat.
4: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your team. Thank
1: you. No worries. That was Vanuatu cafe owner Lopez Adams, who, as he explained, is leading a citizen effort to try and clean up and and build back better after the those devastating two category four cyclones. And as you may have heard in the news as well, the Australian government has des- deployed a rapid assessment team to survey cyclone damage at the request of the government of Vanuatu. And a military aircraft will also be assisting the government with aerial damage assessments. Vanuatu's Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakau has told the country his priority now is to connect power, water and telecommunications to affected communities.
2: With the generosity of the Australian government, we've undertaken a surveillance flight over Port Vila, Uramango and Tanna. Suffice to say, it's a very sad state of affairs. I acknowledge affected areas under the initial state of emergency will be expanded by the Council of Ministers tomorrow. I'm glad to say tomorrow that the first humanitarian assistance of food and non-food items will reach us to help the government address people who are highly affected by the two cyclones. On behalf of the people and government, I say thank you to the good nature and generosity of our development partners. They stand ready to support and have already come to help us with these two cyclones. Good night.
1: That was Vanuatu's Prime Minister, Ishmael Akalsakau. And it's time to find out what's making news around the region. And to do that, we're joined by reporter Kyle Evans, who did stand in for a translation of uh, Prime Minister Vanuatu Kalsakau there. But uh, <laughs> good morning to you, uh, Kyle Evans.
2: Good morning to you, Priyanka. Happy, uh, well, it's probably not a happy Monday. It's never happy on Mondays, is it?
1: <laughs> well, yes, I um, almost forgot it was Monday, which has <laughs> it was closer to show where my head is at. Um, but yes, uh, happy Monday. Hope hope it's a bit happier, um, but. But some concerning news out of Fiji, actually. A number of Fiji prison guards have been charged for assault. Can you tell us the latest there?
2: Yeah, seven all up, and they'll all actually face uh, face court today. So uh, they'll face the Suva Magistrates' Court over, over uh, two separate incidents, um, uh, both of which were reported by the Fiji Times and the Fiji Village. So the first is in relation to a 22-year-old prisoner uh, who was allegedly assaulted by five officers at the uh, Suva Remand Centre uh, last year. The five officers have been charged with one count of grievous harm each, while one's actually facing an additional account of uh, criminal intimidation. Meanwhile, in that separate case, um, a further two officers have been charged with allegedly assaulting a 38-year-old inmate last month. Excuse me. That's alleged to have happened during what's called a snap check, uh, and they've been charged with causing actual bodily harm. So, yeah, all all seven of them will face uh, face court today uh, as confirmed by the acting police commissioner.
1: Interesting. And we will keep an eye on that, um, uh, particularly with our reporter there in Fiji, Lily Mavono, and bring us the latest out of that court case. Um, and now let's head to, well, the Federated States of Micronesia. We were there previously, well, we did hear from the President, Panuelo, um, who was traveling us about China's newly appointed representative to the Pacific visiting his country. Um, where else is this ambassador expected to go?
2: Yeah, that's right. So uh, the Federation States of Micronesia has actually become the first stop uh, for the special envoy uh, to the People's Republic of China. So uh, FSM's Foreign Secretary actually welcomed his Excellency. See uh, Bo over the weekend, who was uh, formerly China's ambassador to Fiji. If he, in case his name sounds familiar, uh, it was straight down to business too. Uh, the trip consisted of a uh, of a two hour long bi- bilateral discussion, which covered a number of things from uh, PIF and uh, just the, the regional strategy in general. Uh, followed by a f- informal dinner engagement, and uh, and uh, the ambassador also revealed an intention to donate two thousand solar lights to uh, to FSM. Uh, and a further U.S. $150,000 worth of supplies for the uh, uh, Micronesian Department of Foreign Affairs.
1: Oh, interesting. And where else are they going?
2: Yeah, so a few more stops uh, on the list. Uh, After this, uh, he'll be visiting Papua New Guinea, uh, followed by the Solomon Islands.
1: Interesting. And we can't leave up News Wrap without mentioning the big weekend in Pacific Rugby. Can you tell us um, what the games were? What were the standouts?
2: Big, big and sad weekend in in pacific rugby uh in in a lot of ways i know that's pretty much all I did yesterday was sit on the couch and uh, and, and watch 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 TV particularly the rugby sevens but we'll start with the super rugby where unfortunately Moana Pacifica and the Fiji and drew both suffered heavy losses in that big festival uh in Melbourne um Fiji Drew went down pretty heavily to the Waratahs, but it actually revealed some issues they're having off the field as well. Uh, with Coach McBurn uh, hitting out after the game at, at the concussion protocol, which actually saw one of his players, um, well, which which one of his players failed because he simply couldn't understand English. Um, mm. That actually happened the week before. But what basically happens is when someone gets takes a knock to the head, they have got to go off the field and answer a number of questions. But if those questions aren't in a language you can understand, it's pretty hard to answer them and actually show the doctor that uh, that you're okay to continue. And unfortunately, it's a pretty heavy price to play as well because as a result that play has been stood down now for twelve days. um, you know, which which is which is simple protocol for for those sorts of things. So yeah, few few issues to work out there. Moana Pacifica, they went down pretty heavily to the Chiefs, 52-29. Weren't ever really in that game. Um, meanwhile the Rugby World Sevens are Fiji, another relatively rough tournament for them. They started pretty well but they lost uh, their quarterfinal match up to Argentina, second week in a row that um, their, their tournaments come to come to an end at the hands of Argentina. They're looking very, very impressive, but had a chance to go ahead, sort of uh, in that late in that late in that game there. But Argentina managed to get them on the final siren, and it was a pretty pretty crushing way to go down for the Fijians. Unfortunately, they'll play uh, the US today for fifth place uh, in the fifth place semi final, while Samoa will play Kenya for ninth. Hmm. Um, but uh, unfortunately, what, what, what's looking like now, though, since Australia has gotten through in the top four, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll probably win a medal, which means Fiji will be out of the top four.
1: Wow. Well, very uh, concerning stuff for Fiji there. But um, if more sports throughout the week and next weekend, let's see if things can pick up. Kyle, thank you for the stories. Thank you, Priyanka. That was Kyle Evans bringing us the latest around the Pacific.
2: Join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. I'll be interviewing incredible guests and discussing issues that are in the hearts and minds of Pacific women. When you're younger, you don't really take note
4: of the significance of this ritual. Until you're much older, then you realise that you're proud to be part of this ritual.
2: So join me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk. Wednesday's days at 3.30pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
1: You are listening to ABC Radio Australia. This is Pacific Beat. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Marape has called for an investigation into the country's largest state-owned enterprises, that's PNG Ports, after ABC and the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project uncovered murky dealings between top Papua New Guinean officials and and an Australian businessman. To hear more about it is the investigative reporter behind that report, Joshua Robertson. Good morning to you, Joshua.
0: Good morning, Cranker. How are you?
1: Yes, very good. And I'm um, very interested to hear more about your investigation. Um, now, let, let's go back. You found allegations of corruption within the ranks of PNG Ports. Now, PNG Ports is a major employer of, um, of people in Papua New Guinea and also receives about, I understand, half a billion dollars of funding from the Australian government. What exactly were these allegations that you came across?
0: Well, it began when we were looking into the dealings uh, of an Australian businessman um, who was an associate of uh, top ports official Thago Kiniafa. And the Pandora Papers leak is what led us to this. We found that this Australian businessman, who was uh, a one-time A-league soccer club owner in North Queensland by the name of Don Matheson, opened up an offshore uh, company and leaked bank records. Uh, had the names of these two top PNG ports officials um, appearing to receive payments from this offshore company. And that was around the same time that PNG ports awarded a massive contract to a multinational that was bidding to operate PNG's two largest shipping terminals, Adelaide and Port Moresby. And <clears throat> so obviously, uh, the, the names of these officials and the, the timing. Of the payments um, led us to be asking questions, which began with: uh, Was this a conflict of interest, and were these payments declared?
1: Mm. And what did you find? Because I, I mean, I I listen to your background briefing, which is where you know listeners can check out more of your story, and it become, begins with a brutal murder. How is that all associated with this PNG Ports affair and this this money trading hands, as you found?
0: Well, yeah, that was a shocking twist um, in this investigation for us. Um, In fact, I had the opportunity to meet uh, and interview um, Fago Kinneartha when he was boss of PNG Ports last year in Brisbane. He came to town for a conference. Um, And just weeks after that, I learned um, about his brutal murder in his uh, hometown of uh, Goroka in the eastern highlands of PNG. Um, And that really um drove us to be finding out more about uh, his uh more about his dealings um which turned out to be completely unrelated to mm-hmm. his murder uh with uh with the Australian businessman Don Matheson. So yeah, it was um a, absolutely a, a shock to learn about um uh, Fagos murder. Um and it also led me to uh, uh make contact with his widow Sarah Kinnyarfa, and it's through talking to Sarah that we learned a lot more about how close uh, Fago Kinnyarfa was to Don Matheson, his Australian associate.
1: So, so is the allegation here that Mr. Matheson was sort of paying off people from PNG Ports um, with the prospect of hoping that his businesses will be awarded these these tenders, the this ability to to gain more money, I guess, through the state-owned enterprise.
0: Well, Mr. Matheson actually had obtained quite a few contracts with PNG Ports over the years, um, planning contracts, um, and he uh, had developed his friendship with Mr. Kenny Arthur around the same time. They actually owned a champion racehorse together, mm-hmm. and they uh, celebrated a, uh, a, um, a a big win during the uh, the famous Melbourne Cup racing carnival during twenty sixteen. Uh, they shared in hundred thousand dollars prize money that day, and just a few days later, uh, Mr. Matheson billed PNG Ports over one hundred and fifty, hundred and fifty thousand dollar design jobs. So, PNG Ports was the bigger money spinner for Mr. Matheson. Um, but it's in this case, Mr. Matheson um, was actually working for ICT. I beg your pardon. He was a paid consultant for ICTSI. A massive uh, shipping terminal operator. And it was while he was um, uh, being paid as a consultant to ICTSI, he was paid millions of dollars into this offshore account by ICTSI. It's around that same time that this same offshore account appeared to make payments uh, and pay for benefits to both Mr. Kinney Arthur and the, uh, the f- uh, former uh, PNG Ports managing director. Stanley Alphonse. Um, now, the timing of these payments was around the same time that ICTSI was awarded those massive contracts to run lay in Port Moresby ports by PNG uh, Ports Corporation. That was a con- th- those contracts were going to be worth uh, uh, well over um, half a billion dollars. Yeah. And so, the the questions about the timing uh, are uh, yeah, whether this these payments. That uh, these two officials appeared to receive from someone who's been paid millions um, as a consultant to the winning contractor, whether those payments were a conflict of interest, whether there was uh, a good explanation for these behind-the-scenes payments, or uh, whether it was something else. And now, obviously, uh, the, the Prime Minister, James Marape, has uh, shared our, our curiosity mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the suspicion of some experts that... Um, more explanation is required here and he's, he he he's called for those for a series of investigations and and saying that he will direct a full investigation by the uh the ICAC there in PNG.
1: Yes, yes, it's very interesting, isn't it, Joshua, to to hear about the the government um, responding to this. I guess you you've, you found the money trail, and and now it's about finding out whether that is, as you said, um, constitute a conflict of interest. I mean, Mr. Marape also said that he was surprised by the findings, but he made a, an interesting point in his statement to the press. He said he's also played golf with Mr. Matheson and and um, has socialised with him. What do you make of that considering your research uh, into this Australian businessman?
0: Yeah, well, it's certainly true that Don Matheson himself told me um, uh, multiple times about playing golf with James Marape. In fact, the first day that I called uh, Don Matheson, he told me he was just about to tee off with, uh, with the prime minister and um, uh around that time, he also told me that he was arranging a meeting for the Prime Minister in Australia with the leader of the um, state Queensland opposition, David Chris Fully. Uh And I contacted David Crisofulli's office and they confirmed it was true that Don Matheson had reached out to them uh, and in an attempt to try and broker a meeting with uh, the Papua New Guinea Prime Minister. And it was just the fact that their schedules clashed, that that's didn't take place um and uh so there was a number of um meetings uh with mr marape uh that don matheson claimed to be having while he, he um while he was speaking to me and we actually did put some questions to mr marape about some um, uh don matheson's account of their their dealings i mean by don matheson's account he was very close to the prime minister mm. um and that's obviously prompted uh the Prime Minister, to uh, issue this statement distancing himself uh, from this uh, Australian businessman.
1: Yes, yes. Very, very interesting. And it will be interesting to find out where these investigations uh, do go there in Papua New Guinea. But I wanted to ask you about the Australian government's role, perhaps in this. Um, As we mentioned earlier, um, the Australian government uh, has provided up to half a billion dollars in funding to PNG ports. Do you think they have a role to play or questions to answer around these allegations of corruption?
0: Well, certainly, um, experts have told us they believe the Australian government does have a role here. Um, obviously, if there are questions around conflicts of interest um, and more with uh, PNG Ports Corporation, um, it uh, then falls to the Australian government to raise the bar uh, on due diligence, as someone put it, um, with how um, this massive amount of Australian taxpayer money um, is being managed. Uh, in 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 Png by Png ports in terms of the contracting processes um, you know P- uh, fago Kiniafa, before he died um, pretty much held the purse strings to um, over 200 million dollars mm. of local contracts there wow and so yeah if there are those questions around previous big contracts it begs the question now the Australian uh, uh, the department of Foreign foreign Affairs and trade has told us that they will be uh, they are fully committed to um, safeguarding taxpayer funds, and they welcome any information that brings into question their administration mm. of this program. It is a big program. As you say, it's, it's the largest single investment in Pacific infrastructure by the Australian government. Wow. Uh, it's now up to $621 million Gosh. over five years. A fifth of that is in the form of a grant, so that's in the form of foreign aid.
1: Wow, so there's a lot of money playing around. Unfortunately, we are at the top of the clock, um, Joshua, but thank you so much. If listeners do want to hear more about your um, fascinating investigation, they can head onto our website, Background Briefing is the name of that show.